First off, I know I give off big energy. Uh, this is my first time being on camera. I was actually the guy who cast the hosts at MTV back in the day. So I've, I've always been like this close to some of the biggest storytellers that had a pass through television. Like what a killer time for me to be at MTV from, from 1998 to 2007. And when you can communicate with people correctly, then you can know what they want, how you can help, how they can help you. and you just build better relationships and it sounds like you severely developed your communication skills to like a whole nother <laughs> level right yeah, um, there's some trauma yo <laughs> <laughs> all right welcome back everybody to another great episode i have an awesome guest his name is Vinny. He has done a lot of great stuff in the media space, creative space. He was on MTV as a host for a while, and he is now dabbling into the podcast realm, and he seems to be going full-fledged ahead. Um, and Vinny, would you mind sharing a little bit more about yourself and you know, maybe some of the crazy stuff you've been up to? Yeah, I appreciate that. First off, I know I give off big energy. Uh, this is my first time being on camera. I was actually the guy who cast the hosts at MTV back in the day. So I've, I've always been like this close to some of the biggest storytellers that had a pass through television. Like what a killer time for me to be at MTV from, from 1998 to 2007. Mm. Uh, I got there when it was like MTV rock and jocks, the MTV sports and music festivals. Like we're, we're dropping skateboarders off helicopters <laughs> at the hard rock. And, and wow. like, you don't even realize, by the way, you don't even realize that I'm thinking about this. You don't even realize the relationships you're making as you're making them. Mm. Uh, it was, I think it was like a, a sports and music festival. It was in, usually in Las Vegas. And we ended up finding out that uh, TJ Lavin had this backyard with a lot of dunes and stuff that we could ride on. Mm -hmm. And we wanted like this like backyard barbecue kind of experience. Mm -hmm. So uh, a small crew went over and we, I remember we shot in his backyard and, uh, he he tells the story really nicely over like breakfast tacos and I, apparently I was like cleaning I was he says I was sweeping the backyard because that could be me trying to like impress him and make sure we're tidy because like we're uh -huh. very messy in production right so it would be me the guy whose relationship it is to be with talent to think well this isn't how we should leave it mm -hmm. um, but it was a killer relationship like that that three or four years later when the challenge came out and and mm. then ultimately they were looking for. Uh, uh, an athlete first. It was TJ uh, uh, Mosley, Mosley, T not TJ Mosley, Dave Mosley. Why no, Dave Mira. Mm -hmm. What's the? Why am I? Oh my god, an Olympian skier. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. This is the burst. Anyway, <laughs> um, and then and, and we ended up uh, hiring TJ Lavin. I think like season seven, and he's done like forty or so seasons. So. Wow. Uh, which has been killer, by the way, to know that like I got the old guy on MTV. <laughs> by the way, also also on that network, um, uh, Nick Cannon came to MTV when I was there, and uh, yeah. uh, while I learned a lot from that kid, man, while and out was the show that he pitched hard, and people didn't get, and they passed on it, and he uh, he actually invested in himself. It's like a, a big lesson I like actually talking about. He invested in himself. He he went out and spent money and created tape so he could show us what it looked like with two two teens and two celebrities at that point he was dating uh christina million so they mm. 
you had access to talent, you have access right. to comedians, you had access to a space, by the way, that wasn't being used overnight. So he recorded it quickly. And that's also like one of those franchises that, that like was built to tap into like young comedic talent. And when you build, when you build something that has that goal greater than the end of the episode, like those are the sustainable media franchises that right. uh, I've been, a, I've been lucky to be a part of a, a couple more than a dozen of, of those successful franchises that have run for more than 10 years or so. And uh, uh, I think all, all, all that, all that I see in common, their, their goals far exceeded the um the end of the episode and if anything that the faces of those platforms became the faces I, I was gonna say the faces of the shows became the faces of those platforms right and i think i look at that what i went through the the way that but to be honest they're all solo entrepreneurs when you're an artist mm-hmm. mandy moore at 15 she's a she's an independent business owner of one she's right. got a team a manager but she's got no employees mm-hmm. not until by the way, and she gets the gig at NBC, and now she has a production deal, and now she has a staff and team. Right. But I got to see people incrementally add those opportunities: Ashton Kutcher, Sharon Osbourne, uh, Ashley, and Jessica Simpson. I incrementally watched them grow, uh, leveraging their story. The power of that, and it's like, again, I'm like awestruck that I'm at, at MTV for that long, and I love talking about it, not because I'm nostalgic. Because it's like a shared experience. Like I hope someone listening to it has a son, a daughter, they themselves, they know someone who had to go home and watch TRL mm-hmm. or you remember when what we did to Justin Timberlake on Punk and, and these moments that, that kind of brought communities together. They, they combined audiences, you know, it was something that was bigger than the network. And I get, I get excited about what we and the independent voices can create now and own. That's mm-hmm. the cool stuff. So do you still keep in touch with uh, the people you've, you know, networked across your time at MTV? I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are my guests on my podcast. I have a podcast. So like I, I use, I use, I have a podcast as a space to go back in time to put some context <laughs> to what, <laughs> what I saw, what I witnessed, you know, a lot of it wasn't on social media. So I didn't have the ability to get a reaction and have peer to peer reaction and peer to peer feedback the way that we get right now, a lot of it was done in a vacuum, especially right. on a celebrity level. So it's awesome, so awesome to talk <laughs> to Mandy Moore about about when she gets the phone call for Princess Diaries, and they wanted her to do the scene where she would be like this, like super teeny bopper at spring break, mm-hmm. and like three weeks before that phone call, oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm going to tell the story. But three weeks before that phone call, 16-year-old Mandy Moore at the real MTV Spring Break singing her really pretty candid, her really pretty song, but in front of 18 to 25-year-old drunk dudes that have been drinking all day. It was a oh, horrifying gosh. experience, yeah. man. And she's like, no, this was this was my chance to like have the version of Spring Break that I wanted. And like... <laughs> Now that's the one that will be etched in people's memory. And I was like, what a, how cool a thing! I, I just remember, like, oh, what are we? What are we doing with this sixteen-year-old on the stage and this energy that's out here? And and look, you look at Britney Spears and some of these women back then. You understand what the media, you know, could do. Again, I think what um, I think what Mandy did right was she had a very transparent team. Mm. I actually used to get in trouble for telling her too much because uh, you can't tell her everything. I'm like, yeah, I want she needs to know everything. Every. I, my, I have a sister and a brother who are, are also her age. My, 
my, I have a younger brother and sister born in 84, 85. That, that millennial audience is something that I've been programmed to entertain, engage, mm. uh, inspire, ignite, yeah. uh, blame, <laughs> celebrate <laughs> everything with, because that's mm. like, that's who my, even now I have a, a cool sort of podcast industry thing that I'm doing. And my sister gets to produce a couple of, of projects with me every once in a while. And it's like the coolest thing because we, we used awesome. to do that with like, you know, growing up and it's, it's cool. It's cool how podcast fractures the economy. I appreciate the podcast economy for what it is, yeah. but it's cool how podcasting fractures the economy. Yeah, I would agree. And I think something that's not really talked about in this creative space is the importance of soft skills, right? Um, it, when you're trying to achieve success, um, monetary success, career success. It's all about hard skills. It's all about, you know, either way, it's all about networking, like you were saying. Um, but I think soft skills is something that is often not talked about enough. And someone who's just kind of entered the, the career world and everything, I've noticed how valuable soft skills can be. Um, and no one ever told me they were going to be valuable. I just, I guess, just lucked out and, you know, developed my soft skills. And um, it's much easier to communicate with people, right? And when you can communicate with people correctly, then you can know what they want, how you can help, how they can help you. And you just build better relationships. And it sounds like you severely developed your communication skills to like a whole nother <laughs> level, right? Yo, there's um, some trauma, yo. <laughs> you don't get these superpowers. You either get bit by a spider, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> or like the superpowers come from somewhere. Yeah. No, you know, I'm lucky. Again, I turn to my siblings. I'm so lucky that like uh, uh, I became a people pleaser because mm. I can do anything for my siblings and I can make things happen for them that my parents couldn't because they just weren't around for whatever reasons. So that's part of where I can put people way before me. I can show up for people before myself. It's actually something mm -hmm. I have to – part of me being a guest uh, on podcasts is actually showing up for me, which is a really hard thing to do, to be really honest. It's almost as hard as, like, cooking for one. <laughs> it's so right. much easier to cook for, like, two or four because, like, you know, it's yeah. for some reason. But cooking for one, you're like, oh, marom, like – yeah, maybe it's like the 45 of, minutes it takes to right. make meatballs and then I really want gluten free. So I got to get exactly eight minutes. And yeah. I like, maybe um, there's like a little bit of like when you're alone, it's uh you don't have that pressure of accountability. Right. It's yeah. like you're like, uh, the meatballs are overcooked a little bit, but who cares? <laughs> right. You're just yeah, going to exactly. eat it anyways. Yeah, Versus yeah. like if you're trying to especially if it was like a, a first or, or if it was an important date or yeah, somebody family. right you're gonna have family yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be like oh these are overcooked i'm gonna start over right and, <laughs> <laughs> back to the kitchen <laughs> that's funny yeah no for, for, I, yeah right cool i'm glad that I, i'm i'm pleased to hear that you can relate to that emotion and that i am not alone mm. in that it's, it's something i really struggle with um mm. and it shows up in weird ways it shows up being on time Sometimes it shows up being prepared on time. I used to go through this phase where I really loved, quote unquote, being unprepared because I thought it put me in my best you know, place ever. Um, and there may be some truth in accountability. There may be some truth to that depending on, on the specific circumstance, but not all circumstances. And uh, uh, so but but that being said, um, I, you know, I also didn't have a lot of. Uh, I, to, to, to minimize my um, 
disappointment in people. I learned to not want things. So when you don't want things, you learn to not celebrate things. Mm. So for me, you know, I got a, I sold a TV show, but that's what I'm supposed to do. So how many episodes <laughs> is it? And like, or the TV show failed and it's like, no one watched it. And I'm like, well, that's also what happens with TV shows. Like, yeah. Now is that going to be my fault? Or it goes away. There's so many things out of your control. And mm. I love that part. I loved learning. Are you kidding? With the one percenters at, in Viacom, MTV, CBS, when I was there, uh, we launched MTV. Trace, MTV2, MTV.com, MTV Films, <laughs> MTV Desi, MTV, mm-hmm. I mean, 35 international platforms. And I got to help them scale wow. a talent development department. I helped them scale. It's really cool that HR, that HR executives are called talent development. I, this is like awesome on LinkedIn. Confusing, uh-huh. but that's okay because usually <laughs> 20 years ago when you typed in casting, you would get f- like fish rods. Not not my profession either. So like I've right. always been, always been like a page two ranker, right. you know, working work first working in in cable and then podcasts and always yeah. in unpreferred media, social media in the middle right. too, right? You no, know, everyone. But when I call, when I call, you know, I think when I call, people expect two things: one, an opportunity, and then two, to do something. I, mm-hmm. I never had the relationship with talent producers or a community where I called and said, "Hey, I'm just here to let you promote something." Hop on. I'm here, I'm here to say let's create something big that ignites a larger conversation, and and the two of us can ignite and create and develop something that 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 allows us to have deeper meaningful impact with our community, with our audiences, with ourselves. Mm. You know, as right. we talk about legacies, I say ourselves. Now that now I'm in the podcast game, so everyone talks about legacies. I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, that is true. I've heard I, that I didn't, buzzword a lot. I didn't like that as a kid. No one talked to me about my legacy. Like, all of a sudden, like, no. You just heard it in cartoons. And also, like, maybe it's, like, a money, like, yeah. Like, so sometimes legacy is, like, a little bit, like, financial legacy more Mm. of that. So, like, maybe maybe that's why it wasn't talked about in my house (laughs) because that was, like, not even uh, a possibility or or whatever. I remember Mm. graduating college thinking 19,000 a year was, like, a lot for someone to make because that's what my single parent made Mm. in the house of the us four children made and um and to be really honest it was a database i was like i'm a data geek so i started off in like just coding and html and i would build cpus and my first business i thought was going to be to like build (laughs) build computers specifically for universities Mm -hmm. um, because i spent so much time in the computer center um what exactly did you do were you in data science so, uh, so I technically graduated college with a business degree in theater arts, uh-huh. uh, programming, programming more than anything else. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at that point, we're literally learning HTML, SQL, uh, learning how to be. So, so I figured out, not I figured out, but I, I, I learned how to use macros in Excel to auto-populate and generate content. Uh, I took out an ad one day my senior year in college and I to a, this thing called backstage, which is where like non-union actors go to look for, for opportunities, actors, dancers, whatever. And I said, like, if you're interested in being in future projects, send me your headshot and resume, Vinny Potestivo, one campus road, student box 577. Like I, <laughs> I know LLC. I'm like, I'm not even, who's going to send this to me? But I just needed information because I wanted to create a database mm-hmm. with some names and information. And I got like, I don't know, under 700 headshots sent to me at school 
And I took that database and every week I would look at, I would look at um, backstage, which was free. Well, backstage at that point was a physical paper that you actually had to buy from like, I don't know, 25 specific kiosks in Times Square. Like it was a very specific regional paper. So I knew if I took it and scanned it in and sent it to those people who I thought might not have access to it, that they would find that interesting. Fox News found out that I had this database um, Mm. as I was sending it out to database. Fox News, brand new network. Uh, They had the show Hannity and Combs. So I got to ultimately, I got hired as like an audience producer to tour the country in 98, wow. 99 with Hannity and Combs. And, and my job was to organize the audience and then figure out what questions should come from the audience and help pick, you know, that and set that up for the producers and the casting director that worked on that show. And, and then it was, uh, and then it was MTV news that found out <laughs> and then, then you do one thing in New York, you know, people talk about a bing, one guy, you know, that's well back then. It's the, I think it's actually the freelance economy too. Then maybe the casting director went to MTV and, and long story short, they were in the process of creating the talent development department. They needed someone to organize. I used to do those shows. Want to be a VJ. I don't know if you remember like the MTV had like these like thousands of people nationwide would compete to be a host on MTV to introduce mm-hmm. videos and be on TRL and and there was my little database in action and then I got to cast Choose or Lose which was scout completely finding a whole new MTV news team mm-hmm. that was awesome and and when the talent development department came to be I I had some soft skills which you just mentioned and I had some hard skills uh, I had some right. hard tech skills I knew how to wire two VCRs together together to edit from my office that was something that at mtv they were still spending thousands of dollars on beta digit before they could even think of digitizing and doing it that way uh i i I, and i had my databases which was how i would create all my talent grids and Mm. it's crazy to think (laughs) that everyone's term papers and all this shit that i edited back in the day I used all that inspiration for like show pitches and casting one sheets and mm-hmm. reality show decks and, you know, uh, why all of my financial content has, you know, serif font right. and all, all the comedic stuff is sans serif. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's funny to think about where some of that inspo comes, where, where I'm triggered with comic yeah. sans <laughs> since well, 98. I feel like even <laughs> your hard skills allow you to develop like, you know, better on your soft skills and creativity, yeah. right? Because, like, yeah. for example, tools, the tools. more, right, the better you know your tools, the better you know how to use them, right? Yeah. And if you know how to use your tools, you can create some pretty cool things. Um, so, it's I, true. you're saying that I had this vision of like picking up a sword and it's this YouTube <laughs> video of the guy picks up the sword and instantly like cuts his finger off because he didn't realize how sharp the ones, like, he, I don't know. I'm terrified. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. I'm actually terrified of, of tools that I'm not a master of. And yeah. when I feel masterful over a tool, that's where I get excited about sharing it with people. When I figure out, for example, do you have a blog that's connected to your podcast? Uh, will be, or, but uh, at the moment, uh, no. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so here's a great reason to have a blog that supports every podcast episode mm-hmm. is because I realized that you can take that blog RSS and upload it to Google news and you mm-hmm. can be a Google news verified source so that other platforms, other podcasts, magazines, e-magazines, our friend mm-hmm. can RSS can pull your, you're basically syndicating your content on the web to other platforms. And that's a great way for link backs. And then once you do 
was that? I was gonna say you should. I don't know if you've or if you're already doing this, but you should add uh, transcripts too because the Google oh, yeah. SEO when you're uh, it doesn't search audio or video. So you know, for example, let's say you talk about how to tie your shoes, and it's just a video or audio, and someone looks up how to tie your shoes, they're not gonna see yours unless you have some sort of transcript where Google can physically read words. Yeah, so that's, that's brilliant. A, that's a good yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important to have uh, in there. By the way, if you're doing that, then then I want to throw in the aggregation part that I think some people forget about in the content distribution hierarchy. Aggregation is the act of culling, curating. Like I'm, I'm going to a free account and I want how-to videos on shoe tying and when i sit down i i want five blogs about i want to read five blogs about shoe tying when i sit down there they are because ai and people tell me that and the the benefit of those five blogs being discovered at a point in time where you're going to do one of three things you're going to read it you're going to read it and you're going to share it or you're not going to read it and you're still going to share it because it's like-minded content. You need you need the content output for the day and you just want to share someone else's content that you know you may align with. Right. I can get you into that system. Getting into that aggregator is it a killer way for your content to be discovered without needing the added layer of branding and marketing and artwork and all, all the sort of stuff that we do at the top of the uh, podcast to get, quote unquote, uh, more visible, mm-hmm. right? The big um, bugs. Yeah, right? The, the, right. If I can make you more visible on a platform where people are looking for you. You don't need more visibility to have more discoverability. You, you need more shareability to have more discoverability, right? So, so you don't need to be more visible to get discovered. You need more sharing after people see you after you've been visible that's what leads to discovery that that's it that's inspired action that's like top of con that's top of funnel speeding down to conversion yeah. kind of energy <laughs> and, and if you set you can set them up that's what i realized you, we're just not creating innately we're not creating content necessarily that's easy to share right small pieces that's easy to share or or even long pieces by the way i noticed that um Google is putting, you know, Google has these snippets that are pulling data from our web pages and snippets are a way that Google kind of puts like a magnifying glass on your web page in the context of search results. And Google, I realize, has a snippet for blogs that are over 3000 words. So it's not just short form content like most of social media that Mm -hmm. we're repurposing into Google is. But, but so now I'm mindful of the fact that I need to have at least one 3,000 word article or, or so, something. And by the way, right. your strategy about transcription could certainly Will help work, me get right. those numbers, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. right. Like that's 3,000 like, can be a lot sometimes. Yeah. It's, what's that, 15 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're on with a New Yorker, you know, or the, most of us listen on, on high speed now, right? Anyway, yeah, so right. 1.5. <laughs> um, I, I want to also touch base on what you were speaking of earlier and it kind of reminded me of this idea of humility and because you were talking about knowing yourself and you know um, your interactions with people and I think a big at least from what I've learned and what I've seen is people some people right when they get to the top they get this um, ego where it's like oh, well, I'm at the top, I know everything. And sometimes 
those are the people that kind of fall, right? Because when you stop adapting and stop learning and, and you start thinking, oh, I know it all, then, you know, time, the market, evolution, it just kind of wipes you out if you're not adapting constantly. So um, I've noticed like you were kind of talking about humility, kind of reminded me of that and how that can be really important. I did want to ask like, did you ever, I'm sure you have, um, when you're working at MTV, encounter people that had a lot of humility and people that didn't? And like, what was that like interacting with either? Oh yeah, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, the flip side <laughs> of the answer is like the drama queens, <laughs> uh-huh. the Mariah Carey moments, the Diddy moments, many Diddy moments. I worked very closely <laughs> on making the band. In fact, I, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, uh, uh, I would, we would shoot, sometimes we would shoot a scene and, um, like in, in some of the casting stuff, I, yeah, man, uh, plenty of Diddy <laughs> moments. He, he would, he would even know Tia Rebels on live. So he would just show up live and he did it like the Diddy takeover and like, uh, uh, yeah, the, you know, the cool thing about, about working with disruptive talent and, and, and cooperative talent is passion and understanding mm. that power can sometimes get you in the room and get you out of the room, Kanye. So I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that and I true. understand that now. Mm-hmm. Um, power can get you in the room. Passion can get you in the room. It can also be misjudged as emotion and dismissed for that reason. Um, I'm, I'm just, and I'm sensitive to those two words because I, I find myself being... I find those two words being associated with how I'm able to get projects greenlit, moved, purchased, created, sourced, distributed, synchronous, mm. whatever it, you know, out there. Um, uh, it comes from, and right now the power is in the people. So that's why I'm like, I'm all in on podcasting because, and because uh, what we're doing now, I mean, it, <laughs> we all know the original reality TV shows, right? <laughs> Yeah. So like, right, and even right. even the ones that came ten years later, the Housewives, and like they had a white, and then twenty years later, whatever was up. So we know that this reinvent. So we we the people have the ability to have our stories amplified at that level because we're expanding. Yeah. In this growing market, it's not growing around us. That's why I left MTV. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. I look around in two thousand seven. I'm like, oh. So everyone with an iPhone is now create like we all have <laughs> access. So actually, I remember even Facebook. I used to have to hide my friends because I didn't want people to see who my friends were because they were like, they would go to my site and they would see who the real kids from Laguna Beach were or whatever show I worked on and right. then they would reach out to them and and people would say, Vin, do you ever get weird, weirded out or upset or mad that like everyone recasts all the people you cast? Like you found all these people. You ever, uh-huh. I'm like, what? I would never think of it that way. <laughs> Imagine I get to be part of all of this and I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> I, I, take a, I take mental credit, but also I, they give me so much credit. TJ, that guy, TJ Lavin, there's not a single GQ interview he's ever given that GQ doesn't call me up for a follow-up quote or advice. And like he's so mm-hmm. generous. And every step of his ladder to success, he's turned around and said, like, I'd be nowhere without you. I'm like, dude. This is the coolest brotherhood I could ever imagine. What I wanted at that moment with an athlete, because MTV at that point in, you know, 04, 03, ESPN2 took all of the male viewers away from MTV. There was no more mm. sports and music festival, no more right. rock and jock, anything. It was all, mm. it wasn't even fashion programming anymore. It just quickly turned lifestyle and then life, real life, right. you know? Right. 
and uh and it was hard it was hard to get an athlete on on mt it was easier on mtv too there seemed to be more of a male sensibility mm-hmm. skewing sensibility on that platform but uh you know someone who could represent to the youth culture had the challenge it's called the challenge to challenge your physical and mental strength yeah that's like cool and then, and then i never thought it would still be the same like 40 year olds <laughs> that right. are still competing in these awards <laughs> later. I love that part. That's the bonus. God bless them. I don't fall. I don't fall gracefully the way they fall. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, <they're>, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's a, uh, you know, also when you were speaking about uh, Nick Cannon's story, I think that's so inspirational that he took a chance on himself. Right. Um, and kind of like your story, he developed the hard skills while at work and, you know, you know, working at MTV and all that and gaining the knowledge and the skill set. And then once he got the uh, confidence to say, you know, I think I'm going to place the bet on myself if, you know, if MTV is not going to do it. Um, uh, that's so that's, that's super inspiring because, you know, that's that's not easy. Um, and I think people, you know, really brush past people's successes like that when you hear it like, oh, yeah, Nick Cannon did this and this happened. And it's like, oh, so, and he's successful now. But to think of where he probably was mindset-wise, financially, everything in that moment was probably a whole nother ball game, right? The idea of yeah. truly taking a bet on yourself is much harder to do than to say. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. What, what he had going, and this is maybe even the same thing with Mandy Moore, he mm-hmm. was treated as an adult He as a child. He had, by the way, a giant star at Nickelodeon, and he was... He was crystal clear. That kid's vision, that dude's vision is like, there is nothing. Everyone's <laughs> surprised about like the number of children. There's obviously some interesting headlines about him, but there's nothing that he does that he is surprised by. He is so intentional. Mm-hmm. He always has had this level of clarity. I think that's what made him so funny and so relevant as a comedian. When you can really see what's funny, when you can mm-hmm. see through the fluff and the PC and the not PC and every, when you can, yeah. re- when you have that level of clarity, you can really perform and execute a, a, at a high level. Uh, he's had the same team around him since day one. It's that level of clarity that I think helps him, you know, execute it. And then, uh, I love that story because it worked out. You know what I mean? There's, a, I know lots mm-hmm. of other people who didn't, and Nick had a right. lot um, at that point to lose. Because, uh, to be honest, uh, he was he was supposed to, he there was a Carson was not no, no longer on TRL, and I, if I remember correctly, I think Nick was supposed to kind of be the host of TRL, and then I think that Nick really truly passionately felt connected to Wild and Out, and. Mm. No, I was going to say he made it so that he was no longer going to be the host of TRL, mm-hmm. which then opened the door for me to go higher and go get to go find. And our, our team got to go find uh, the last generation sort of, of BJs. You know, there was about like five or six that had a, this rotation. Mm-hmm. And then and then that pushback allowed us in the deal that we already have with Nick Cannon, in the space that we already had some time to figure it out. And And I think Nick invested in himself right at the right time where he knew he could take it to another network after showing it to us. Um, but it was, it was how he leveraged it. And, 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 and really, I think truly that show would, that show was really an awesome, uh, at that point in time, I don't know what other network would have supported it the way that MTV could have right. with the amount of eyeballs that we had on us, maybe CW, right. but it would have been a different type of show and a, a very different 
uh, distribution model, you know, mm-hmm. than what MTV was capable of globally. Right. So, if yeah. they wanted to release albums at the end of every episode, CW would have been an awesome place to go. You know, <laughs> by the way, Nick Cannon, you should have pitched us Glee, the Glee version of Wild and Out, man. That's what you got to come back every every right. episode. That's, that's uh, <laughs> I say that I laugh now. Watch what him watch him come out with that like tomorrow. <laughs> so intentional. It's really cool when you have that level of clarity. They all do, by the way. Mm. They have that level of clarity. That 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 conviction. That, yeah, where where they're like, I need the show to be a success because of X Y Z needs to happen. Jessica didn't need newlyweds to happen. Jessica Simpson didn't need newlyweds to happen. She needed it to kick off and catapult. Ultimately, she played Daisy Daisy Dukes, you know, in Dukes of Hazard. That's a pretty big. That might, to be honest, I mean, I know MTV tries to take a lot of credit, or maybe I right. think MTV takes credit. <laughs> yeah, MTV takes no credit for anything else other than Jersey Shore these days. I'm still the only person who brings up uh, Osborne's and Punk and these things. But yeah, anyway, they're uh, but but we have again all that to be said is like that. That's why I believe now this like uh, free world of IP of creating where where we can get our stories out there and own it. I'm telling you the value of our. I know the value. How I know how valuable our content is because I saw. Dozens of production companies get sold based on other people's stories just mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Imagine what we're going to be capable of doing. That's how valuable our stories are. And if you're a business owner, the story of your collective talent and how your talent tells your story and how your part of your talent story is never been more important. And by the time you figure out what I'm trying to talk about, if this is going over your head and three or four years from now it's going to be too late because the world is getting bigger and these me- these messages and these formats are going with it mm-hmm. so that's right. <laughs> and speaking on that um you know ever growing and changing culture um you know we have ups and downs as a culture uh whether it's economics and such right so i want to ask you you know because you left around 07 and you know 08 was a was a huge year in the u.s um, how did, and I'm asking this because I'm relating it to what I saw in 2020 was, uh, a lot more content was consumed and I'm sure mm-hmm. you noticed it a lot more YouTubers, uh, gained, I think some people gained million, like, a, like 600, 800,000 subscribers in like eight months, like crazy numbers. Um, so definitely, you know, the COVID and the lockdowns had a change on how content was consumed. I'm wondering, did was there a, a change in content consumption in 08 um, and, and how so? Yeah, yeah, in a big way, by the way. And in and, and 08, two things happened simultaneously, un, unparalleled to each other, but, but happened at the same time. One, obviously, suddenly a lot of people found themselves at home watching television with the time to consume content. Technologies are just coming out now, most mm. of it rolling out on our iPhones and Androids and flip phones, I think, if we're talking about 07, 08, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So, so but we're not, it's not a fun experience. It's not long form content. It's, the buffering speeds are low. We're still reliant on television at that point. Right. And in 08, what happened was there was a big writer strike. And that mm. writer strike stopped all of written programming anything that was a script that needed acting and writing from the from the uh uh pro- from right from a so from a uh, what's the word not uh the, not the director's guild 
but like the uh, associate, what is it? I forget the writers' association. But anyway, but oh, but okay. if they're not, you know, uh, union writers writing on these union projects, that then productions couldn't go in. So suddenly, I had access to dozens, and then ultimately everyone, and then dozens of production companies had access to hundreds of actors and talent and people who otherwise would have been committed and busy on other projects. So there was a tremendous influx of of content creation on on a on a network level, which is the, a first big boom to the content economy. Beyond just like independent channels slowly starting to get it, because it, it quickly right. became about bidding over talent. It was about the the loudest voice wins, the most recognized face can you know bring eyeballs to the network. At that point, television is about growth. At that point. We're leveraging faces and hoping that that's bringing us new eyeballs. I think right. the difference now, well, first off, we haven't had a writer strike. There hasn't been an influx of premium talent. Let's call it that way. Or on a, on a, I don't know what to call it. Uh, <laughs> how about how about no? I take it back. I take it because we're the premium creators are the premium talent now. So I'm now I'm looking back at this. There's the real people economy, the influencer economy, the creator economy. I think we're going to be hitting like the uh, the editor <laughs> curator economy maybe next maybe like that mm. that's maybe that's maybe where people mm. who have the ability to curate and cull through content and trusted sources you know I think mm. that this is where um, I can see more podcast networks being aligned. I also right will throw this out by the way. Think about this. Think about ESPN two as not just a place to watch sports but a place to listen to sports podcasts what's stopping espn2 from watching the espn2 espn2 podcast directory the same way mm -hmm. apple has a directory and the same way spotify one and by the way yeah. i'm sure the same way walgreens and kmart and every i'm sure Everyone's everyone will still be in a directory yeah. it's a directory it's a pass-through by the mm -hmm. way it's it's data there's not even a single file it's just information yeah. that's pointing to each other so imagine I think Amex you, just started a podcast. Yeah, see, look, this, you're, yeah. you're gonna everywhere. Pew 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 pew. Gas. Yeah. Imagine gas stations on the go. Here's <laughs> here's our five podcasts, and here's a, yeah. here's how it works. By the way, oh my gosh, I, this is so cool. So if, if you aren't launching a podcast network as a business, and if you're looking for ways to to leverage content that you're not creating, I want to give you a peek into what I think Bravo is doing. Mm. I think Bravo, you know, has contracts with the housewives and the, those contracts say that women have to get appearances approved uh anything about an interviewing of their story on podcast needs to get approved so so podcast gates who the who who the women can and cannot speak to and mm -hmm. ultimately if you look at like 24 one hour episodes in one season that's 24 hours of content that bravo is going to produce by the way probably lots more including sizzles and the bonuses and all the, all the but 24 core hours of content right if they have a hundred podcasters in line waiting to talk to those women afterwards how many thousands of hours yeah. are they getting out of each of those podcasters for yeah. every episode and they're not paying for content and they're happy to oblige and connect by the way they did this thing called BravoCon. they podcasters got flown in and got to meet talent so like right. I'm like, yo, if you better don't get gassed. <laughs> you, better, yeah. you better get some money on this. And I said that, and then and then I realized that those podcasters have ads, and those ads are similar to the ads they'll see on NBC Network. 
So it makes no surprise to me if Bravo had figured out a way to share their talent network, their content network, their advertising network. Mm. Like these are the separate types of networks that ultimately make up some of these larger media platforms, NBC, CBS that we know. I like pointing that out because when you understand the distribution system, maybe we could even be looking at our own internal comms, the way that we're, you know, uh, the way that I might give a keynote at my next town hall might be in a way where I know one minute of it is intended to be funny because that's the moment I need to put on the company. You know what I mean? Or the quick, the quick piece so that I can be intentional. I know I'm going to need to advertise it. I know I'm going to need to promote it. It shouldn't come as I hate repurposing. Prepurpose. You know you gotta. Yeah. So create it while you're doing it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, you know you right. gotta. So that's so true. Like, um, I, I guess I didn't even realize that, right? Like the power of leveraging other people's work. It's like a win-win, right? So for example, you're on this podcast and I post the video version, the audio version, let's say a blog, uh, a written thing here, some shorts or clips or s- segments let's say there's about 10 pieces of just this one, you know, interaction of us, right? That, that power of, you know, you spent an hour and leveraged, like you're able to leverage way more, uh, you know, through people's work. I think that's just crazy. Cause it's like a win-win almost is the way I see it. Yeah. And then, then what I want to do is I want to ask you like a hundred days after this airs on your podcast, would you ever be open to maybe me running this episode this actual file on my podcast because i Mm. think that my audience would love to hear the way you're talking to me and the questions Mm. you're asking me and like the characters don't change the facts don't change but the story changes based on who i'm talking to who's who's coming up i'm answering questions here yeah that's actually kind of cool because your audience gets to hear you uh you know speak more and and less of the questioning more of the you know giving your take which i think would be super cool what I do is I create a Google News blog post mm-hmm. for my I Have a Podcast platform. I take all that yeah. awesome social content that you just told me about that I can't <laughs> wait to drop into this like giant manuscript <laughs> of us. And, and, and I'll give your episode Second Life, by the way. The yeah, first thing right. I'll do is a featured podcaster um, article that I know is going to help set us up from a Google perspective. So Google knows we, we exist. Um, also is your podcast on IMDB? No. So here's something to think of. So, so in this world of link backs, and I want to be mindful of, of throwing too much out and, but this is a big one, by the way, uh, TVs, TV shows, films. We know that IMDB, the internet movie database is the place where we can go to check out who made our favorite movies, what actors are in our favorite movies. It's all. In, it's a. It's a place where intellectual property and people who create intellectual property give and get credit, and podcast mm-hmm. is a, is an approved form of intellectual property on that platform. You can't consume the episodes, but you can give credit. And what you're doing is creating data that's fed from Amazon because IMDb is owned by Amazon to Google. I I can guarantee you that you will have uh, increased visibility in less than two weeks. If you already have a podcast out there, by the way, I have a step-by-step guy. I have a, I'm, so everything I share, I have tactics. I have this like creator hub and it's always free. And <laughs> I have like a hundred awards worthy of winning because people don't know how to win awards and I like to show them. <laughs> they say, I don't know how to get paid. I have a podcast. How do I get paid? I'm like, well, what creator marketing platforms are you on? And they're like, I'm not on any. I'm like, dude, you got to put your name on a list so that you can get discovered. So people can say, let's 
that's the person. Right. But I think, I think that is the hard part, right. Is when you're starting is like you, it's almost like you don't know what questions to ask. Yeah. That's what I, I agree with you. And I, I, I'm, by the way, another Nick Cannon story is when Nick was doing the while and out, I remember he was doing, we were doing the, the contract for a while and out and they said, well, how do we get more? And I said, well, I think that maybe MTV might reward you if you went past a certain threshold. So if we're supposed to get X and you got more than that, maybe, maybe they would say yes to that. I happen mm. to know that they would say yes to that because I'd seen a couple of deals like that pass through. And if there's anything I could do as the <laughs> middleman at MTV to keep that door open to opportunity, especially with someone like Nick Cannon, who's going to, mm. whose goal was never about, get himself in the door. It was always, uh, you can't work with him and not pick up on the sense of community that comes around. around. And, and again, major players in media are like that. Those, those are the ones that have made tremendous impact and create Shark Tank and gigantic genres right. of, of industry from media. Um, but, but it is, it comes, it comes from, I, I think of that often in the canon. It's so funny, right? Like I, I always, <laughs> everyone, everyone thought he was just like such a funny kid. I'm like, he, he's so smart. He's so, he's so accurate. He's so, mm. he's so laser focused. And, um, and I, and for one way or another, I see it work out. Mm -hmm. What, what were common traits you saw in, in people that made it in the, in whether it was MTV or, or now? Um, that consistency of personality, you know, that you know, on camera, off camera kind of Ooh, thing. Okay. There's a lot, you know, there, there seemed to be a lot of that after 2010. I feel like a lot of uh -huh. like, I'll say one thing in the room then I'm going to go in the room and be a completely <laughs> different person. And then I'm, yeah. you know, I think people who uh, are quick to act and slow to change, they, that change is inevitable and change is mm -hmm. constant, but it's also not something I'm it's, and it's something that I'm aware of and it's part of my system. But if someone throws new technology, new opportunity, a new uh, uh, platform my way that I, I know, I know I have a goal larger than creating content. The content is meant to inspire something larger. So you yeah. throwing a platform or an opportunity my way just challenges me to figure out how to take my message and you use your right. platform, your because then it, back then it was about uh, air, airing. It was about distribution, right? So if you had an idea that was going to air, I had to figure right. out. So by the way, artists would have to come out with singles and solos so they could just get on late night shows so they can talk about same sex marriage and equality and and the things that like literally they care about and they leverage their fame to make impact on, and um, uh, and now. By the way, it's not even now. What's cool about right now is like we're in like social 2.0. Like we mm. we've all had some type of social media account that's on a publicly traded stock, you know, owned company. So we know what it's it's like to let other people own our information. The, this taste of NFTs, this taste of crypto, Discord, uh, mm. Mastodon. Like there are some really cool decentralized social media yeah. platforms and idea of ownership it feels different it really mm. does it really feels different than 
I'm pretty well, we've excited. We've been allowed. About it. Yeah, right. It's weird and it's we're going to be mad that we called this social media cuz we got got. <laughs> yeah, we did get. Yeah, we did get get. Cuz cuz like the thing is like uh it, it's crazy, right? Like you have social no media. power on whatever you do. Um you got to be careful. You got this idea of free speech doesn't Can't exist. do this, can't do that. You can't, exactly. you can't say this, you can't do this. Um it's got to be a certain way. You don't have rights to it at the very end, right? The, the, the yeah, 100% rights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this idea of ownership would be really cool because I think amazing ideas could like blossom from it. Um, you know, I feel like it's really early to tell which direction Web 3.0 would even go. But, you know, some sort of idea of like, I now have ownership of my podcast, but I want to give you know, you part ownership of this episode because it was super cool and you wanted to do some cool stuff with it. You know, like, I think that would just create like a whole new community um, yeah. that's just going to change the way social media is right now. Yeah, I think I agree. I think that's counter to the referral um, that like that whole this whole referral sort of. Um, yeah, I, I think there's something sort of like uh, toxic about the the the, the <laughs> referral piece right now because of, of the incentive for a short-term gain versus mm. exactly what you described right. um which just got me excited because i was like oh yeah that's funny because i would totally be the guy in the room at a and e and i'd be like no we had this one episode where we did this we talked about this we should leverage that episode for like i can see how that's what I was talking about with Nick. It's about being in the room, knowing what other people have asked and knowing what other people get, the capabilities, possibilities, and the, you know. Actually, let me ask you this then. Um, this just crossed my mind. Do you think, you know, with this idea of, let's say in the future, this does happen, we all have ownership of our own material, no one can stop you, censor you, whatever, right? Do you think it would be overall better or worse with full free reign of content because for example from what i've heard is you know different countries will restrict what content is made um for example in certain asian countries they do restrict a lot of content and a lot of the available content is educational only but mm -hmm. in return you're creating a society of people that are constantly learning so you know there's there's a double it's a double-sided sword right which side are you choosing but you know so it's almost like freedom of speech yeah. or do we do we nudge the direction that culture is going what do we do here i think that i think either way either step it is is that we have to add responsibility to what we're creating it's happening now on a public platform on networks like we hear lifetime taking responsibility for getting r kelly behind bars we hear we hear uh uh <laughs> i laugh Oh gosh, I laugh, but like I remember the Janet Jackson Nipplegate thing that rocked MTV. I was there, and we <laughs> had to, as a network, step up and be responsible and make sure that not only did we not put ourselves in a situation where something that wouldn't happen, but we had to then basically, re unfortunately, redefine how we would approach showing the nipple on the network, and we had to be right. responsible on a whole different level. Uh, responsibility, uh, especially with some of these silly reality TV shows, there's a lot of, of network responsibility of what leaves the air. Um, there are some great conversations that spawn from Survivor and some of these big network shows. That That's responsibility in action. And, and, and I got to be honest, it's late. It's 
25 years later, we're finally being responsible because how many yeah. lawsuits, how many firings? How we're still many, not even there legally. You know what like, I mean? Uh, the court systems, all this stuff, right? We're still not even so, up to date on. It's funny, you know. too. The media, media, media and the court systems are funny. I've worked on shows where you can't work on shows about cases because it could look like it's like the case only exists for the sake of media and mm. the case can get dismissed. There's a lot of, of people act different on camera sometimes. A lot of different rules. Uh, NBC won't won't talk to anyone who won't have anyone who's in a publicly traded office be on their their shows. So it's like it's interesting when you start looking at it for for lots of different reasons. Um, but we need to figure out how we can be responsible. Like 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 at the end, you know, at the end of this, you might ask, how do people get in touch with you? I have I, I before I could show up as a guest, I spent hundreds of hours building my creator hub that has awards to win and creator platforms to that pay uh, 60 podcast discovery networks that I think most people don't know about because they were just created globally. You know, how to get the podcaster to think globally, yeah. not just nationally. We know Spotify and Apple and Google and we know what's rocking yeah, here. But imagine the numbers, the English under the people who speak English and understand English podcasts globally were yeah. barely tapping. And by the way, why? Be exactly what you said, because of restrictions. Right. Because of because of how media needs to be imported by those countries to ensure that they qualify, by the way. There's like a, it's a different, it's a completely different process. I love that you even brought that up because that, that ties it right back into to uh when you're owning your content how you'll be able to leverage it what what you're ultimately leveraging um and benefit of owning your content is being able to be the sole decider of if i <laughs> if i can get this episode afterwards or not and also and also the ads that are in it and the people that they support and the blogs that you know go on um, by the way, so after you finish your blog for your podcast, and then after you go to Google News and you get set up, then go to AdSense and just drop in like one ad in the sidebar. Let me make a couple uh -huh. of bucks that way, by the way. It's like one, <laughs> this is the benefit of having a blog, especially if yeah. you're on WordPress. It's so easy. And the weird thing about, and then here's why I say one, because it's really kind of, I mean, if you want to go crazy and become a group, you know, or some big, you know, web thing, whatever, by all means, you know, go for it. But when you're running ads, you get data and you'd be amazed at what people who are listening to you are out to buy that, that you think you're inspiring creativity, but what you're really doing is getting them to commit to launching this business because now they feel confident about getting on podcasts to talk about their new business. So to buy their business, they got to go get the office. So now what they, you know what I mean? So it's really cool. To, I think about that nonlinear part of, of, of content all the time. And, uh, I had a really cool thing happen to me just this week. Uh, there, there's been a big podcast about Laguna Beach. Back to the Beach is called, and it's kind of it was a nice podcast. And it made some numbers and people who who knew the show back on MTV. I got some nostalgia hit, and I turned on Netflix, and that show is now one of the featured shows on Netflix. I think it's really cool that 25 years later, I'm still getting credit <laughs> on TV shows that are just now that's hitting awesome. Netflix. Like that's the non-linear part of of, of media that's what i believe about these podcasts yeah, yeah i'll give you my information you can find me it's gonna maybe change because i just said 
you know, I'm also on Be Real and Mastodon and Discord. Right. Like, I, we can go on and on and on about, <laughs> you know, the ones that are growing. It's growing. The social media universe is growing. Um, people say, what's the next Facebook? What's the next? It's out. What's the next TikTok? It's already out there. It's already. Yeah. So there's no questions to ask. It's about it's about which one you want to be on. It's cool. It's no, the power I, of discoverability, how much control you have over getting discovered, where you show up, right? That's cool. Right. And um and and maybe I've realized this especially in the podcast space, but the power of your words and and how it can actually, like you were saying, impact people's lives. And for example, I I have three series in my podcast, right? I do these guest ones like we're doing now and and I do uh I have a book series and uh one I call small talks, which is just like few minutes monologue just ideas sharing whatever i think and you know for a while i was thinking like you know hmm and i'm sure you know what you know what i'm talking about when i say this um as a creator it's really hard to get feedback um especially because what i've started to notice is most people actually don't even know how to give feedback is is uh, another big part but um, so I wasn't really getting feedback and I was wondering, Hmm, is this even working? Like, is this worth doing? Like the small talk part, right? I'm like, is this valuable? Is this kind of just, should I scrap it? Try something different. Um, and then one day, one random day, a few, uh, a few months later, um, a good friend of mine, she tells me, she's like, I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time. I'm like, Oh, Oh, thank you. And she's like, yeah. Um, it actually really helped me. Uh, when I was at a hard point in my marriage and I was like, wow, that is absolutely insane. Cause I, I'm over here thinking, should I scrap it? I, am I even, is anyone even like, you know, really hearing me out? Um, but to hear like someone say like, yeah, that actually helped me. Um, it's, 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 um, it's a nice feeling like the reciprocity of, of sharing your word and, and the power you can have. Yeah. Yeah, people, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> don't expect yourself in others, right? Just because you know how to give constructive criticism or can see growth or can say, hey, that flower needs a bigger pot and it needs to be in the sunlight, mm-hmm. you know, just because you can doesn't mean that, that people even can begin to understand how to process the results of what you've come up with, let alone like the media and content that's out there. Um right. Uh, uh, by the way, that's where I think that being in some masterminds and community groups and like in, in the, specifically in the podcast space where, where there is no shortage of opinions, but there, there's <laughs> lots of communities. Yeah, that's true. Like that's where the, I'm actually part of a, of a, I actually, now that you're saying this is actually yesterday, I was the guy in the hot seat in my mastermind. Oh, um, and it's a uh, not a seat that I enjoyed, and not a seat that I ever really find the need to be in. But mm-hmm. for that reason, I knew that I needed to be in the hot seat, and it was so cool to uh, an exhilarating experience to learn from people who have one one twenty fifth the experience I have in content, and double the experience, and no experience, and still get something out of all of them. It's systems and people. That impacts what we're doing. Podcasting is a, by the way, podcasting is funny. is a funny sport. Not even in media. It's a medium. It's like uh, it's it's the best of of, of uh, journalism and accounting and publishing. Yeah. And it's like we've we've taken the best of all industries Tech. and 
Huh? Even what you just talked about when yeah, you talk about like it. NFT in the episode, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, you definitely. That'd be kind of cool, huh? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I find that yeah. valuable. I agree on that. Especially when you start thinking like these companies like Spotify are just funneling money into this future of yeah. of this medium. If we own the same episode, then like what we ultimately, by the way, think about this. You know how it's okay to repeat episodes on, I mean, repeat content on social media? Mm-hmm. So then what we would do is basically like just like once a year, I'll play a podcast, you play this episode, I play this episode, you play this episode. And and then somehow the ads know who owns what. And we like maybe that's the future of how some of those like long form collaborations really look like. That's what I mean. That's not that that doesn't feel as scammy, to be Mm -hmm. honest, as like that referral industry where it's like, hey, I got a mastermind. I'll pay you 200 bucks if you can get me someone for a thousand dollars. And I'm like. Yeah, <laughs> that's a weird incentive. I thought, so weird. Like, why don't you tell me what you want to do? <laughs> like, wait, yeah. what? Like, you're coming at me with like, you want me to do what for two hundred dollars? Like, do all this work for? I just, just say it one more time. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's how um, it is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess I want to uh, like ask you maybe. I mean, first, do you, do you have anything else you want to add before I ask you one last question? Oh, God. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, you know, I feel, uh, you know, we covered a lot in this. Mm-hmm. If anything, you know, I really believe if I could really drive two things home, um, uh, one would be the power of podcast guesting. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We were giving the example earlier. There's really no other thing I'm doing more valuable. We just, you and I just literally mapped out what, what yeah, could <laughs> be the future of podcasting. Yeah. That's why I get excited about being a guest on podcast and I don't have to produce it. All I have to yeah. do is my homework, show up as my true, real, genuine, authentic self, which by the way, I can do from the comfort of my home with these cameras and now that mm-hmm. 1080, 4K, I'm so much more comfortable in my space than I was in a studio. Maybe that's why I never took the leap back then. Oh, yeah. and I feel much more comfortable doing it now this way. My palms aren't sweaty. It feels normal. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Um, and and it's ours. And yeah. and that's a cool that's the other thing too. Like people who aren't prepared for podcasting, don't focus on the episode. Focus on the person. If you don't feel yeah. right, then don't talk, by the way. It's not about the episode. <laughs> it's about the person. If if you feel like you, you don't know what to say, then find someone you knew who to, how to talk to. Podmatch help me do that so if if you want check the show notes the pot match link is a big one to to tap on and while you're checking out those show notes since we now understand the biggest value that we can ask of you is to leave us a five-star review and let us know exactly what it is that you're getting out of this podcast in your own unique way i want to know me that five-star review because it's what it's End of 2022, so I'm going to be looking so I'll know which which group we are. I'm counting. I'll reach out to all y'all. Five-star review on what this unique episode, let this be the, let this be the episode that finally gets you to do that, right? But like share it, right? You heard. You heard how valuable it is to, you don't have to remedy anything. You don't have to share the anecdote. You don't need to be, I don't know, Steven Spielberg or who's like a big reality. You know, you don't have to be the survivor producer. You don't have to be... Right you know, gonna Murray or something like that to be yeah. able to figure out. I'm not asking you to tell how to tell them a better story. Tell them what you get mm. out of the story, how, how it helps. And I will listen to a couple of episodes. I've only listened to one, but I will listen to a couple of more before yeah. I officially leave my mark. Cause I just really appreciate the space and what you create and 
the way you approach the dialogue and and ultimately the craft that you have in networking and connecting with oh, people you. and creating this space <laughs> for honesty and transparency. I see it in action. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I see it. It's like, I have to point that out because like I'm a star finder. So when mm-hmm. I see that shine, I'm like, oh, I see. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that. I, I was going to, you know, I was going to add, um, and I'm sure Nick Cannon feels exactly this is um, he, you know, him like you, and like you were saying, maybe there is a slight intimidation of seeing this massive studio with lights and, and uh, makeup crew, food crew, tech crew, like 50 people everywhere, everybody running around, walking. I, I don't know. I've never been. I'm just going off of, I guess, what I've seen in movies. Um, but, <laughs> hundreds but, um, on the sets. There's hundreds of people on movie sets. I have no That's idea. like, wow. I yeah. thought MTV was big with 50 people on TRL. When you go to those movie sets and it's like 200 people for a four oh minute gosh. scene and I'm like, oh, you must have That's no pressure. Insane. You must feel like you're just like one two hundredth of a 13 minute moment. <laughs> How lucky are you? <laughs> Is it weird that I do the math on that? <laughs> uh, but I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like, I think what's cool is when you create it on your own and, yeah. and when you see it all coming together um, slowly yeah. and like, like we talked about with um, Nick and when he started his wild and out thing. And I think that's mainly on YouTube, right? Uh, no, now, I mean, it? MTV. Yeah. MTV. And then, and then they also, Oh yeah. And YouTube, YouTube as well. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's just crazy that like, cause I, I mainly seen it from YouTube side um, yeah, yeah. and it has a lot of views and um, you know, they, him way, you know who else, or, do you know who else recorded, um, how to figure out how to record it on his own because it was better if he did it by himself and like didn't want to be seen as like a host or couldn't be misinterpreted as a VJ or something like that, but had to do it his own way. Ashton Kutcher on Punked. Really? Really, he'd be oh. in a really, I don't need, I was never in those rooms right. when he recorded them. I, it was never on my grid when he recorded them. They were always just delivered. I think they were just his, his way of stepping in and being able to create the space to just be him. Huh. That's cool. I didn't even think about that. That's mm-hmm. that is that when you figure out how to do it your mm-hmm. way comfortably, you're right. And like like you were saying, you can do it from the comfort of your home. And 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 like we were talking about, I think it's important to keep being adaptable too, right? Like growing with the times, with the with the media. Um, not necessarily trend hopping. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. If maybe if your goal is to get famous and chase chase the the next thing maybe i don't know but well if you're chasing something you're behind it so but yeah it's like that's not that's unfortunately what happened to mtv in 2008 <laughs> but that's not my fault <laughs> because like all these yeah. other stories are so good that's what it's about yeah i mean yeah i think it's a it's a great space there's great outlook and great you know um what what would you say you know because you were talking about I've been in this space for because you were saying I've been in the space for a while and I can start to see, you know, just by seeing people uh, and their work and all that stuff. What what do you look for, um, you know, based on your experience? What do you look for um, and what can people do to stand out? If you had to look at a lineup of people and how to cast certain energy, I would certainly uh, uh, you can certainly read who's picking up on energy, who's giving out energy. So confidence, I think uh, a personal sense of style 
to be really honest, there's a physical, you have to, you know, people say, I don't know, what should I wear for this? What should I wear for that? My answer has been the same for everything always. Wear however you want to be remembered. However you want to be remembered, wear that outfit because that's what they're going to have when it's all said and done. And if that, if that doesn't help you figure out, you know, and, and all that yeah, to be said, it's right. clarity. It's really, it's clarity. Um, uh, as a network executive, you have a lot of meetings with mm-hmm. people who are just sort of generals and go sees and, uh, you know, uh, I can tell you the ones that sort of tend to work out are the ones who say, I'd love to be on news. I'd love to be taught. I'd love to be a game show host that deals with something physical or s- someone who has an understanding of what, what, they react to and connect with the most versus someone who says, I'm really versatile and I'll, I'll kind of do whatever you need me to do. And I'm happy to just be working. And, uh, and for me, not to say that that's a turnoff. I mean, there are big stars that just do that. Um, but I don't work with them. That's all. <laughs> There's like plenty of people to work with them. I'm just not one of those mm-hmm. people that wants to work with someone who only wants to be famous and isn't going to leverage that to make this world a better place. Mm-hmm. For so many, for so many <laughs> reasons, um, and that's again why I believe in owning your content. Um, people who understand the value of winning awards. I like winning. Right. I like winning awards because I like celebrating right. as a group our wins. I like, I like knowing that I've elevated a conversation to a point where we can win an award. Awards are something you can talk about at the dinner table. If you can talk <laughs> about my show in the context of winning an award at the dinner table. Then I won because all I want you to do is talk about my show. And if me mm-hmm. winning an award is what I have to do to make you talk about it, then let me thank my mom and my dad. My, you know, let me get on that. Let me get on that thank you mm-hmm. list. Uh, and I think that's important to be honest. And there's some shame sometimes. Oh, we're right. not worth it. We don't. We don't know if we're going to win. <laughs> right. Um, I think there's no no <laughs> there's no risk or harm in taking a chance. And again, that's why I'm passionate about making sure people know where to turn out of the gate as a creator or even listening to this podcast. I have over a hundred awards and I've broken them down by categories. I think maybe only 50 of them are podcasts. There's about 20 video. There might be about 130 awards in there now. I keep adding more as I see them. Yeah. Yeah. That's all on the website Mm -hmm. inside the creator hub. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's vpe.tv slash hub. It's a lot, huh? <laughs> the world is like, it's data points. And it's cool when you think about, though, how much control you have over it. And I got to be, I want to be mindful. I'm telling you, make all these data points. You, once you make them, you can't take them back. So be really careful about what you tell Amazon. If you don't want Amazon to know what your birthday is, you shouldn't have an IMDb account that verifies your age because Amazon has. And this has been in the courts and many states have challenged this. Unfortunately, Amazon feels that because they are a publicly traded company, they have a right, they have an obligation to share the information that they have. And your age is just information that you uploaded and verified and put up there for, for maybe your Amazon account, you know, not knowing that it would affect your IMDb account or. Or maybe you gave your age to a different platform mm-hmm. or a different, you know, news source that's also valid and is now a data point that shares. So, like, there used right. to be this, you know, insensitive about ageism, especially right. in the in create as a creative, because I know how important the aesthetic is. That that number is something that um, is out there. So just just to be forewarned if there's sensitivity to that, make sure that 
you don't confirm your age yeah. anywhere anymore on any platform because that's a big data point that <laughs> it's like a it's a good old demographic data point that every platform knows how to leverage to their advertisers so that's why they love it so much mm-hmm. <laughs> right right and and I think um, and I get what you're saying because I think age doesn't justify a person's um, maturity, their wisdom, their experiences, um, you know, their personality even. So, uh, especially as someone, so like I always grew up uh, surrounded by older people. My friends have always every, oftentimes every friend group always been always been the youngest person. Um, which has its pluses, but also its minuses. You always get picked on as the youngest, right? Um, but you also learn from everybody as the youngest. So for me, it was like very easy to pick up on on more mature topics, more things that people relate to and communicating and and things like that. But would you yeah. rather get punched when you're expecting it or punched when you're not expecting it? Yeah. At least you need, at least you knew it was coming. That you were prepared. Right. But being layer young, up, you know. <laughs> it works. It works in your favor when you're 20 and you suddenly are supposed to know everything about social media. So people who don't understand technology are throwing you sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars out of college because they don't understand something. So they're willing to pay you to do it, and and you're like, wait, I, yeah. I'm like accounting major. Why I know, and I'm 23. Stop telling me to get on TikTok and make like TikTok jerk, you know, like, but, uh, it's, but so it's funny how, it's yeah. funny how that works. That being said, I'm like a 45 year old guy who like, you know, I'm like the video, video games were new <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, right. Technology was, I was, I grew with tech. I'm so lucky to say I'm 45. I grew with technology <laughs> though. When I was in college was when scanners were needed to get photos on websites. So I was that for everybody. I'm a master. Mm-hmm. Back then, I think we even had to take our, our CDs and put them in our computers and for Apple Music to, you know, like there was that whole process. And um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I feel like, um, or, or I think my you know generation or like people around yeah, my yeah, age where you had control. some of the last few yeah. years of to grow up with tech but also not like sucked into it completely right so we still grew up where right there is still the notion of like oh you're too young for a phone uh you know you gotta wait till you're 16 18 you know like imagine being an eight-year-old with like a beeper <laughs> Beep, 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 beep. Oh, man. Samantha said 143. She's the man. <laughs> beep, beep. I remember I got my pager when I was like 18. Uh, uh, this, then a year later, I think I got my cell phone when I was 19. Because uh, I remember my mom being like, well, who, why would you need a cell phone? Who's going to call you? I was like, what are you? What? It's not about who's going to call me. It's like, what if I want to call people? Yeah, right. I'm like, I want to call people on the, uh, I want to call people on the weeknights and on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the carrier. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You can still search for that, right? right. I used to do that, but I, that's funny you even mentioned that. At MTV, when I would travel around, yeah. I would bring, so, so and I you're calling their home phone yellow, number. The yellow book. The yellow book? Yellow yeah, the landline. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that all of a sudden, that sounds like a weird, thing but I, w- I would grab the yellow books from any place where i would go yeah so i would have like local information when i when i came back to running vpe one of the first things i did was put up all my my yellow books and and, 
it was really cool to look at the like the access and then like two years later facebook like <laughs> so i took down all those like all those contact i took it down another like and then i put the i put up binders of housewives and single millionaires for bravo yeah, yeah. <laughs> on there as well I work for other networks too, but you know, you work you work on a couple of projects that are loud and they'll stick with you for a while. <laughs> so quickly, my like my highlight reel is in four three standard definition. You know, like you can't even legally upload the footage of my content anymore on Instagram. It does it violates terms of service. It's like you, this must be at least four twenty. But you know what? The relationships, the relationships are four K, that's for sure. Um, my podcast has been fun getting to go back and talk to them. I sat down with Ja Rule uh, uh, like two weeks ago. We talked about the power of collaboration. I have some cool podcast episodes coming out with Mandy Moore. and uh, uh, It's fun to go back and get to uh, that I have the access to those people. And unlike, you know, I didn't want to have 52 different celebrities on my podcast just to show that I have access. I want to show that I have real relationships. So I have the same people back over and over again. Um, so swing by and say hi. <laughs> That's I always, yeah, for sure. I, 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 I always find that the best um, is when you can have reoccurring guests. I think they're actually some, some of the more uh, fruitful conversations, not because um, you know, just because of the person, but also you get more interactions and more chances to talk about different topics with them. So I think, you know, as an, uh, from an audience perspective, when I see that, um, in podcasts where people have guests come back, um, you often see it's easier to relate to them more. You get to see more sides of them, right? So total win, win, win there. Also for efficiency, I shoot my podcast six days a year. I shoot eight episodes a day, four 10 minute episodes with yeah, one person. Yeah. I have short episodes that I use as conversations. I go back and I continue to edit and there's, there's some posts to, for sure to be done on my podcast. But I, I figured out that if wow. I have four consecutive conversations with someone like Mandy Moore, well, one on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. on my newsletter article, I put her image as the thumbnail and I share the same link every single week or every other day or however many times I want to on my business page or my personal page. And, and I'm never pushing people off of LinkedIn. I'm pushing them to my newsletter and her image is on that newsletter. So I'm more <laughs> likely to get a subscriber to my mm -hmm. newsletter by, by using a newsletter link to promote my podcast. And what I do is I go to Spotify, mm -hmm. I take the code and I embed the Spotify player into my news article on, on LinkedIn. And so that's how I'm able to have like, mm -hmm. um, uh, some consistency. And then for four weeks, I'm with the same person. Uh, I don't have to educate right. you. It's a new episode. It's a new episode. No one cares. It's a new episode. No one cares. It's a new guest. They just care. What are they going to get out of it? And I can kind of focus on it now. And then, I, and it gives her, it gives her lots of opportunities to pick and choose when to support it as opposed to being like, <laughs> yeah. oh, she didn't support it at two o'clock on Tuesday when I launched. Gosh, yeah. how am I possibly going to get my number? You know, like, you know, those things that we do. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would also add to that because you talked a lot about shareability is probably one of the most important things here. Um, figuring out very subtle ways that you can incorporate more sharing even in your content. So for example, in your blog post, you talk about, let's say you talk to a guest and they talk about perseverance. 
and then you have another episode where you talk to a guest about perseverance, then you could in that blog just be like, this reminded me of this great quote from this guest who also talk, talked about perseverance or, you know, some sort of relation there. And um, or even at the end of the blog, just be like, if you enjoyed this kind of content, you know, there's similar episodes I've done here and there. And I think those are all great ways to just kind of because you're also getting people that are already because if they've read the blog, they're probably interested in whatever you're saying. So they'd be more likely to click on the other stuff. Yeah. But anyways, Vinny, I wanted to say thank you so much for being on Learner Be Learned. I truly enjoyed this conversation. You are a very energetic and, you know, because you said you're kind of an introvert, oh, right? Yeah. Well, when we're talking about my expertise, I'm in my home. I'm in my home zone now. So if I, as long as I feel like I have something to offer, as long as I feel like I have something to offer, it's, it's unfortunate. But uh, when yeah. I feel like I have nothing to offer and there's some, some people listening to this who, who know how to help me <laughs> through this but and, and, but this is where i <laughs> by the way this is proof that you do not need to be perfect to be a podcast guest mm. someone asked me how come we don't work with a lot of coaches yet i'm like because i have a lot of them and i'm still in that headspace world yeah. where i'm figuring right learning you know, by the way 20 yeah. years old at mtv to 30 like i had zero i had, uh uh what's it called when you don't believe you should be someplace you have uh, uh like self yeah self i had zero i didn't even know that existed until i was 40 like I didn't, I, everything creeped in five years ago for me when I left television and wanted to focus outside and, but didn't want to be seen as a, as a disappointment or a failure from TV. What a weird, imagine that, that I felt like I was a disappointment, but anyway, it's all part of my story. I'm glad I shared that because that's like super sensitive, but that's it. That's the, that's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, like uh, earlier in the conversation, it takes a lot of humility to um, do this on your own, really, because mm -hmm. you have to be very self-aware of, you know, what you're doing, what your name is, why you're doing it. Um, because a lot of, like you said, I think, what, there's 4 million podcasts, but actively only a few hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you got to know your why and why you're doing it. Yeah, make sure it's yours because it'll quickly become someone else's <laughs> why if you let them. Yeah. If they say you've got a mic in your hand or an output or an audience, Trust me, they're, that's the first thing they're going to do is try to figure out how to tap into your audience. And that's why it, it, right. it's really, it's about the who, who are you doing it with? Uh, what did we cover in this conversation? I, I was I prepared, I'm prepared to talk about a lot of things. I was really excited yeah. to connect with you. And I knew that coming, oh, and, thank you. And I, but we had, and we had talked in, in on email and, and you know, b beforehand, mm -hmm. we had created intentionality space. I, I sh it allowed me to show up trusting where i didn't feel like yeah. you know um i have to I'm, i wouldn't waste the listener's time listening to yeah. me figure out if i should trust the host of their own show like that's insulting but <laughs> it's so funny i hear myself like i hear my grandma's mannerism like if my grandma frank could talk about podcasts like i'd love you really gotta figure it out i should come up i should, I should do like medea you should do that my grandma i'm gonna come yeah. up with, i'm gonna come up with something let me, let me work on that <laughs> thank you for this I, i'm inspired see this is what happens you change the alchemy you change the direction it changes the output the input dictates the output mm -hmm. conversations will always always affect the dialogue so it's it's extremely important yeah. to make sure you're you're responsible of the words you use the questions you ask will yield yeah. results based on the phrasing, the intentional or unintentional biases that may or may not exist 
of those questions, you know? Um, yeah. Those are all little things that add up. Also, like, after, you know, beyond developing yourself, I think then you got to find a community of like-minded people once you kind of figure yeah. out, you know, what space you're kind of in. Because like you said, like, you know, I'm inspired too. So it's, um, and motivated. So it's, it's, yeah. it's really awesome when you get in a, like, a, I'm sure you've experienced this before when you're in like this group setting and everybody's like kind of in like this groove, like getting ideas going and you're like getting called kind of hyped up. Right. So yeah, community is super important. Yeah. Too. Well, when you're in flow, it's exciting. But when you're looking around like 12, 15, 20 other people moving the same speed, same direction as you, you all, you all hit the gas a little bit harder. To be honest, right? Like you just, yeah. you, you're in it. That, that, that's the guy completely yeah. agree with you. And I, I, that's what I liked about these smaller podcast communities is like, it, it allows me, I feel like to sort of, to tap in to a finite, a boundaried creative yeah. group of people that, um, that we can have reciprocity and, and yeah. understanding and, um, collaboration and the art of learning. And the best thing about aligning and the reason why you need to find those like-minded people after self-discovery, by the way, if self-discovery, so I like to point, I, I have this thing, vpe.tv slash fascinate. It's like the best test I've ever taken. It doesn't, it's not a personality test or like a 16 mm-hmm. personalities or NFT. It, it tells you how your audience may perceive you based on what you tell it you do. And for example, where I mm-hmm. said earlier about power and passion, I'm sensitive about that. This is actually something I literally got from this test, which was a really, mm-hmm. I've been in the room where I'm like, oh, my passion is coming across as like, I just want to, and that's not going to help me push yeah. this through. Oh, I need this to happen. Right. Is it going to be the tone that gets me kicked out of the building if I think <laughs> that power, you know what I mean? So you you to be really yeah, right. So it was a huge but but how to fascinate is the name of the test. Sally Hogside created it. Uh, I'll give you the link so it can be in LinkedIn notes. But, yeah. but if after you understand how to, how you're unique, how you can show up, finding like mindedness is important. Not 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 just for the sake of community of building community, mm-hmm. but for the sake of learning with community and and know that there are going to be new things that come out this month. Um, uh, Pinterest TV just launched. So the future mm-hmm. of shoppable, tappable, long form, clickable, evergreen content. If you've been record, if you've been making YouTube shorts or Instagram reels, we have another place for you now to throw all of your vertical foot and, and it's tappable. You can, after, as you're watching it, click on your course and download it, click on your product and buy it. And that's, that's so, but it's cool as long as you know what you want to do. Because I'm going to keep throwing new platforms, new tools at you. I promise you that's going to, that's life in this 3.0, 4.0, whatever world we're in now. There's going to be lots of newness. So, so you don't have to reinvent so much. You just have to figure out how you want to stay to the course and what, what, how you can leverage these tools to best make noise, to make impact, not even make yeah. anymore. Right. And I would add to that to always keep experimenting yes. right? just because something works i think often people get scared to experiment especially when something starts yeah, if it works it means it's, it's viable like, gas yeah, up right so it's it's, it's <laughs> gasoline right it's like um call me this is <laughs> this is what i do i show with like a gallon of gasoline i'm like you gotta match <laughs> yeah literally yeah literally you gotta you gotta put yeah. your foot on the gas once you find something that works 
and stay on the path. But you know, it, it's okay to switch lanes. You know, yeah. you, to keep experimenting, try this lane, try that lane, right? Like, um, and I think that's like we talked about earlier. That's like the can be the, one of the yeah. Try lanes, try media platforms, try different surfaces on media platforms, real store. You know, all the DMs and absolutely. Absolutely. Because I promise you what, what works best for you does not going to be what works for everybody else. And even then, there are so many yeah. different social media sites now that no one's social media ranking or the way it's the way we're leveraging our appearances on multiple platforms. I'd be very, it's like the that weird flip book, you know, with like the head and the shoe. And yeah, yeah. I'd be curious <laughs> to see how much really aligns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyways, Vinny, thank you so much for being here. Um, this was awesome. And I would totally love to have you again yes. at some point. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening and everything will be in the show notes. So totally check that out. This was, this is great to have you. Thank you.